It's never been easier to communicate with people, but it's never been harder to know which platform you're supposed to communicate on. Here's a simpler solution. With call, meet, and message all in one app, Ring Central makes communication easy. With all that connectivity in the palm of your hand, you can work from anywhere with anyone at any time and never miss a beat. Because when it comes to communication, simple is better. Learn more at ringcentral.com. Ring Central, simpler communications. With the new Chevy Silverado, you might be driving in this. But with the Silverado's redesigned interior and large infotainment screens, it'll feel more like this. Introducing the new 2022 Chevy Silverado. Find new upgrades. Find new roads. Chevrolet. Hey, MD Nation. I want to let you guys know that today's show is presented to you by Podgo. Podgo is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast, providing podcasts with a flat rate for ad space so you always know how much you get when you include an ad from Podgo. Apply today and become a member and immediately be connected with advertisers that fit your audience. And be sure to mention this podcast, the MD's Fantasy Football Show, when you apply. That's podgo.co at podgo.co. And now for the show. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. This is the MD's Fantasy Football Show with Dan Mader. Giving you the X's and O's of all things fantasy. On the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome back, MD Nation, to the show. You are listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. WWSRN also presented to you by Belly Up Sports. And as always, I'm your host, Dan Mater. And we're going over the primetime recaps of today's show. And of course, the all-important waiver wire report. Now, I usually say all-important because of what it signifies. And it signifies us putting the past behind us and looking forward to the future, which is the most important thing that you can do as a fantasy football owner, whether you lost or won the previous week. However, I am going to give you this caveat. It is not the most exciting of waiver wire reports that we have for you this week. In fact, I would have to say that my advice to you overall would be that if you're ever looking for a week to try to save your fat budget, to try to move up in the priority of your waiver orders, that this would probably be the week to try to exercise some constraint and just kind of let things pass through and see if you can get yourself in a better position heading into next week because there's not much left on the waiver wire report, but that'll be at the end of the show. First, we got to talk about some things. Now, we had a lot of injuries come out. Make sure you're following us on Twitter at BellyUpMDFFShow. Christian McCaffrey's day-to-day. Ben Roethlisberger is kind of, we can consider him pretty much day-to-day. Now, in McCaffrey's case, though, his day-to-day is very, I would say, pessimistic. They seem to be doubtful on him actually being able to play this Sunday. So hopefully, you guys did not drop Mike Davis. You held on to him for at least a week to see if Christian McCaffrey could get through healthy because he was not able to do so. Now, the I guess the good news is that it wasn't the ankle issue again, but it was a shoulder issue that he got hurt at the end of the game after his great performance against the Kansas City Chiefs. So that's something we're going to have to watch throughout the week, but it looks like Christian McCaffrey owners, you may have to go yet another week without Christian McCaffrey, unfortunately. I would say the silver lining is it doesn't seem to appear at the moment, at least, to be a long-term injury. But on the flip side of that, not only will you might miss Christian McCaffrey this week, and we're probably expecting that to happen at this point, he has a bye week, week 13. So at best, you get him week 11 and week 12 before you head into your fantasy playoffs. 
We've been talking a lot about how trade deadlines are going to be coming up in fantasy football right now, especially coming up in the Week 12. And I have to say for the first time all year, because my advice to you guys has been to try to stay strong as much as humanly possible. I don't know. If you get offered a fair deal for Christian McCaffrey right now, I might have to take it. Knowing that he's a bye week in Week 13, knowing that you're more likely than not to have him, or more more likely to not have him, I should say, in Week 10. If you're sitting there and you're like, look, you got to go on a run in order to have a chance to make the playoffs, I don't think you can just say pat on Christian McCaffrey. So for the first time all year, I'm going to say to you, if you can find a valuable deal for players that are going to be able to play all four of these last fantasy regular season games with decent matchups and decent productivity to a team that thinks that they're in a good position to make the playoffs and wants Christian McCaffrey for the championship run, it honestly might be worth it to do that deal at this moment. It's unfortunate. I don't like dealing away the best player in the deal. But given the circumstances and where teams who held on to Christian McCaffrey for this moment, for this run at the end of the season, might be at. So if you're in those circumstances where you're like, look, I have to go on a run in order to have a chance to make the playoffs here. I thought I was going to have Christian McCaffrey to help me go on that run. If you get offered a deal at this point, you might have to think about it. If it's fair. I'm not telling you to sell them off for anything. But if it's fair and it's something that's going to help you possibly get a fighting chance into the playoffs because you're sitting there at 4-5, five, 5-4 and five and four right now, and you know you have to go on a run to have any chance whatsoever, I'm going to have to contemplate that. So just a little bit of advice for you guys in the beginning of the show. But now let's get into what this show is truly about, which is recapping these primetime games. Starting off with what I guess you can call a game from Sunday night, I suppose. There were four quarters played. There were 60 minutes played. There were 22 men on the field at any given moment. But it wasn't much of a game. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who had been looking like the best team in the NFC East, looked like they didn't even show up. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who had all this hype because they were expected to have Antonio Brown and Chris Godwin and have all these weapons healthy for the first time all year, with a Tom Brady going up against the Saints defense that had been questionable at best, underperforming, Bust, if you will, from what they were supposed to be heading into the season. And not only did they look like they got thoroughly outcoached, but they looked like they had no answer for anything. It looked like the Saints decided that their season, their chance to win a division, was on the line. That's what it looked like to me. And they played like it. Now, on the flip side of that, this is the first time that the Saints were as healthy as they've been all season long, too. Had Michael Thomas back for the first time. Manuel Sanders was also on the field. Drew Brees was there. He had been banged up a little bit throughout the week. They had Marcus Davenport back on the defense. So this is as healthy as they've been for a while, too. And all of a sudden, the Saints made a statement in this game saying, "Uh uh-uh, we're the best team. And it's not close, at least from the way they played on Sunday. From a fantasy standpoint... My best advice to you is the same uh, advice that I got, or at least was talked about on uh, the DC's DFS Challenge Show. And for those of you who don't know what that is, you check it out on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network on Saturday night. 
It's a another podcast. Another well, I should not just say another podcast. It's actually another radio show now because I got up to the World Watch Sports Radio Network presented to you by Belly Up Sports. It's a show where myself and my co-host Chris Pinto we host it every single week, and we have Chaz Florida of Sports Betting Weekly on. He always comes on to talk about us with the uh, the bets of the week in the second half of the show. And one of the things that he said during that show uh, really stuck out to me, and that was there are some games for some teams that you curl up into a ball and you throw it away. You decide you're just not going to take any data from that game and apply it moving forward. It's just a throwaway game. It's one of those things that just happens from time to time in the NFL. This qualifies as that for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. From a, fantasy, from a fantasy football standpoint, there's nothing to take away from this game. Tom Brady is still a top 10 quarterback, even though he had only 200 yards and three interceptions and no passing touchdowns. Ronald Jones and Leonard Fournette are a maddening headache of an RB3s, pair of an RB3s, I should say, who only got three carries for nine yards, Ronald Jones, one carry for zero yards, Leonard Fournette, now, Fournette did tack on his six catches for 41 yards on six targets, but they played about the same. Fournette a little bit more in the second half because he's the better pass catcher. But it didn't look like either one of them had made any headway, so nothing's really changed there. Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Leonard Fournette all tied for the team most in targets, while Antonio Brown had five. They all had six. Really, that's the only thing that I can kind of look at and take some interest in was the fact that Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, and Antonio Brown were all on the field, and they had almost an equal amount of share of targets from Tom Brady, who was just spreading the ball around. And maybe you can take that as a silver lining for Mike Evans. Got somebody we talked about worrying that he could wind up being the odd man out if Antonio Brown is true to form with Chris Godwin back in the lineup. Or you can look at it as Tom Brady's just going to throw it to whoever has the best mismatch, and that could be everybody. Or it could be one or two guys, but it might not be consistently the same guy who's the odd man out, necessarily. It could just be anybody. But you can't really take much out of this game, even on that stand front. So this is one of those games where we'll look at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and we're going to say, no one's value changes. Mike Evans is still a low-end wide receiver two, high-end wide receiver three, who needs a touchdown performance to really give you a good game. Chris Godwin, better days are ahead. The first, the, the silver line, I guess, where Chris Godwin would be, he was out there with a hairline fracture. And for the most part, he had one tough catch that I guess you could qualify as a drop, but it was on his fingertips. It, wasn't, it wouldn't have been an easy catch even if he was 100% healthy. Fact was, he was able to go out there with the special glove and still be able to catch the ball and still be involved in the offense. That's all you really need to know. Continue his low-end wide receiver two status. And Antonio Brown is somebody that will continue to be a you know, a high-end wide receiver four moving into next week. Nothing changed. Rob Gronkowski had a terrible game, but he also had six targets. He got, he got an equal amount of share as the Leonard Fournette, Chris Godwin, Mike Evans, one extra target, Antonio Brown. Again, everyone just got a little, a little bit of shares in this game. One catch, two yards. I don't think it changes the fact that because of the way he has played, because of the tight end landscape that it takes him out of the top five of tight ends, which is where he is for me uh, on a week-to-week basis now. Nothing changes. This is one of those games, you curl up into a ball, you throw it away, and you look for better days ahead. Plain and simple. 
Now, on the Saints side of things, this is where we can get into some actual, you know, fantasy analysis to take with us moving forward. Drew Brees was very good in this game. Now, only 222 yards, but four passing touchdowns. He looked more comfortable in this game. 26 to 32, by the way, too. He looked more comfortable in this game than I think he's looked at any point this season. Now, remember, this is a Saints team of 6 and 2. It doesn't feel like they're 6 and 2, but this is a Saints team of 6 and 2. He looked more comfortable in this game against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, one of the top defenses in the NFL, and I still believe they're one of the top defenses in the NFL despite this game. And he looked more comfortable this game than any other game. The difference between this game and the rest of the season is Mike Thomas. And it wasn't like Mike Thomas went crazy in this game. He only had six targets, five catches, 51 yards. But just his mere presence of Thomas being out there and Emmanuel Sanders being out there and being able to utilize, have Alvin Kamara as a safety blanket if need be. He looked more comfortable this game than any game I've seen him. On the road. I mean, getting a good Drew Brees on the road is hard hard to do. So this could be a sign for things to come for Drew Brees that as long as Michael Thomas is on the field and as the other weapons are healthy and this offense starts to mold a little bit together, maybe Brees is somebody who will start to creep up into that top 12 quarterback territory. So I look at it that way. Alvin Kamara thankfully scored a touchdown for you because this was the first game that he was not very good yardage-wise. Five catches, nine yards. Six targets, five catches. Hey, one of the questions were, when Michael Thomas comes back, how involved are you going to be in the passing game? Now, it wasn't his double-digit target self, I guess you could say. But, he still scores a touchdown. He still gives you 10 points. He still gives you double-digit points. And we know Tampa Bay is not an easy matchup for running backs. I mean, nobody was efficient outside of Taysom Hill running the ball. And even Alvin Kamara had nine carries for 40 yards, 4.4 yards a carry. I'll take that all day, every day, against this Tampa Bay team. Latavius Murray had 10 carries, 39 yards. So he continues to be someone who's involved, but continues to be touchdown dependent if you're actually thinking about him in your flex. He's really nothing more than a high-end handcuff, I would say, even though he seems to consistently get double-digit carries. But it's very obvious when they run the ball with him. They, when Latavius Murray's in the game, one, you know it's probably a 65% chance they're going to run the football. And two, there's a 80% chance that if he's running the football, it's going to be straight up the middle. It's, it's just, it's just, he just kind of comes in there to be a hammerhead. Just, just to kind of like let the defense know, like, hey, we'll run up the gut if we want to. Just to keep you honest kind of deal. Taysom Hill got more run in this game than I think any other week that I can remember. Seven carries, 54 yards. I mean, he's not going to be anything fantasy-wise, but they ran more of their gadget plays, and it's kind of been hit or miss this season when it's worked, but it actually worked in this one, surprisingly enough. Look, with Michael Thomas here, look, five catches, 51 yards, six targets, the important thing to take away with Michael Thomas is that he looked healthy, he looked explosive, and you have your, you know, your wide receiver one again. Was his wide receiver one numbers? No, but... After finally being healthy and out there on the field for four quarters and not having any setbacks, will we be projecting Michael Thomas as a top 10 wide receiver moving forward? Yeah, most likely. Mano Sanders, four catches, 38 yards, a touchdown on five targets. I think he's going to be two-second fiddle for me to want to play him in my lineups unless they're going in a matchup where I feel like it has a good chance to be a shootout. 
And even then, who knows? He's nothing more than a wide receiver four, I would say. I am interested to see how this offense now starts to mold with everybody back and healthy. But outside of Michael Thomas and Alma Kamara and Jared Cook, who didn't have a good game in this one, two catches, 30 yards, and three targets. But again, Titans usually don't do very well against Tampa Bay. I do think those are the guys you're looking at from a fantasy standpoint, and maybe a Drew Brees now that Michael Thomas is back. Not looking to play the Emmanuel Sanders of the world all that often. But this was just a crazy game. It was just a crazy game. You know what else was a crazy game? That Monday night game. Nobody, and I mean nobody, saw this game coming down to the wire to a game-winning field goal by Nick Falk where the Patriots would only win this game 30-27. to This was a 10-point spread, which a lot of us were actually saying, we might take the Jets on this one. For the simple fact that the Patriots were going into this game completely banked up on defense and had no weapons, no offense whatsoever outside of a running game. Didn't even look good for most of this game, quite frankly, until all of a sudden Cam Newton channeled his inner Tom Brady at the end. And the Jets were getting all their playmakers back, as in Crowder and Perryman. And I know that they're going to leave without Sam Darnold, but you know what? Flacco's a better quarterback than Sam Darnold is right now because Flacco will actually throw the ball deep, which will actually utilize Perryman, which makes a second wide receiver outside of Jameson Crowder relevant to this Jets team. Yep, I said it. Joe Flacco, right now, with how this Jets team is constituted, is a better quarterback than Sam Darnold. Because he'll actually throw the ball deep, where Donald will not. This game was close. The Jets trying to find any possible... I thought the Jets were going to screw themselves, because there's no reason for the Jets to win games right now. So I thought for sure this was the Jets being the Jets. And it was kind of funny, because I'm watching this game, and the ironic part of it is that whether they won, they're going to be damned if they do, damned if they don't in my book. If they won, that's the Jets finding a way to still screw themselves out of a top draft pick, out of out of, out of Trevor Lawrence. And also while watching this game, when it looked like the Jets were actually going to win, you remembered, wait, no, you're the Jets. You find ways to implode. Joe Flacco throwing an interception because of, off of a bomb that never needed to happen with the situation that was going on. The Jets having stupid penalties when they had the Patriots getting off the field where they would have clinched the game and had a defensive holding penalty that kept the drive alive, which wound up tying the ball game up in the first place. So it was a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation, really, when you, the New York Jets were watching this game. Now, from the fantasy standpoint, Joe Flacco, 262, three touchdowns. Who cares, right? Because you're not going to play Joe Flacco at, at any point, but... This is my point about why Flacco, I think, is actually better than Sam Darnold is right now, especially for this team and for this offense. Brashad Perryman, five catches, 100 yards, two touchdowns. Now, yes, one of those touchdowns came on a play where the defender of the Patriots just flat out fell on his face for absolutely no reason. He looked like he tripped over his own feet. And that opened up the way. But Perryman was getting attacked down the field often with Joe Flacco. They do have a rapport. They've played together before in Baltimore. And it added a whole element to this Jets offense that we haven't seen all season long. It also kind of reminded me of the past few years where Robbie Anderson would be a complete zero until the second half of the season. When finally Adam Gase and the Jets were like, ah, the heck with it. We're out of the playoffs. We've got nothing to lose. We'll actually start chucking the ball down deep and making plays happen. 
Now, I'm not saying that Prashad Perryman is now going to suddenly be somebody who is valued at a wide receiver three boomer bust rate from here on out moving forward, uh, pre- predominantly because Sam Darnold will be back sooner rather than later, most likely. But it's just funny to see this pattern happen over and over and over again when you're talking about an Adam Gase. I mean, Jameson Crowder, the guy who I kept saying is the only wide receiver relevant, the only fantasy relevant player on the New York Jets at all, he did come away with a touchdown in this game, but only two targets, two catches, 26 yards. Just One of them happened to be a touchdown, so he salvaged the day if you played him. I mean, we had him ranked as a high-end wide receiver three coming into the matchup, knowing that Stephon Gilmore wasn't going to play. But I didn't expect Rashad Perryman to just be wide open down the field all game long. From a fantasy standpoint, it's hard to know what to take out of the New York Jets. I mean, the rushing game was non-existent. 12 carries, 46 yards for Frank Gore, 6 catches for 19 yards. I would have to say this. More times than not, the Jets will be down all four quarters. Where in this game, it actually looked like they were they were up double-digit scores at one point. It looked like they were actually going to win. So, as far as Jameson Crowder goes, those games of getting close to, if not in the double-digit target range, I think will still there will still be more of those ahead of him than not. Especially when Sam Darnold comes back. But it just goes to show you that there's just nothing fantasy relevant to take away from this team. Prashad Perryman is going to be on the on this box scores. He's going to be in the stat scores. People are going to ask themselves the question because of what he did last year at Tampa Bay Buccaneers, because of what he did in this game, because of what Robbie Anderson, his pattern was with the Jets over the past few seasons. They're going to ask themselves the question. I'm going to tell you no. He's not on the waiver wire report. I'm going to tell you that right now. It's one game, one time. This is the most explosive we've seen the offense be at any point this season. Once Sam Darnold comes back, I will trust that Crowder will get close to double-digit targets. Otherwise, I'm not messing with this. I'm not. Move on to the Patriots side of the ball. Unfortunately, Damian Harris got banged up towards the end of the game. He was on his way to having a pretty decent game here. He had 14 carries for 71 yards before he had to leave. Obviously, follow us uh, us on Belly Up Fantasy uh, and belly up MDFF show on Twitter. We'll keep you up to date as far as that goes because he was leading the way. I mean, Rex Burkhead was getting sprinkled in. Of course, James White was coming on his passing downs. But before he went out, he was leading the way and he was running very well. He had five yards to carry in this game. So I like Damian Harris. But he goes out. What happens? Rex Burkhead comes in. Rex Burkhead will be an RB3 if Damian Harris is going to miss time. Because the one thing about Rex Burkhead is that he's the only running back of his entire backfield where he'll actually come in and get some carries and get some receptions and actually go both ways. Now, here's the interesting caveat. It's almost kind of timely that Damian Harris would get hurt now. Again, we don't know the seriousness of the injury as of yet. But Sony Michelle is supposed to be coming back soon. Possibly this week to begin with. Now all of a sudden... Damian Harris gets hurt. Will Sonny Michelle just assume that role when he comes back in? It's a mess. It's a mess. And what's a shame is that you know that there's somebody who at least has some decent value in this, and you're looking for these running backs. You're looking for really anybody with a pulse at this point. And it's such a mess that I think ultimately your best move is to not touch it if you can at all help it. 
The only caveat, like I said, I'll give is that if there's no Sonny Michelle yet next week and there's no Damian Harris, Rex Burkhead will be an RB3. But that's something right now, frankly, we just don't know yet. Cam Newton, 274 yards. I, I can't remember the last time I've seen Cam Newton throw 274 yards in a game. Can't remember the last time that happened. Now, some of it was out of necessity. But my boy, Jacoby Myers, who I told all of you about last week as a deep sleeper, as a PPR sleeper, because he's been getting a crazy amount of targets since taking over for Julian Edelman, and he has a nice little talent. He plays really well in the slot. Coming through with a huge game in this one. 12 catches, 169 yards, 14 targets. We're going to get into him in just a little bit, as you could imagine. Outside of that, Demir Bird, nine targets, five catches, 65 yards. Yes, Isaiah Ford's going to be a thing in this offense, or at least he'll be a player in this offense, let me say that. But he's just a body. He's just a guy. Jacoby Myers has been playing pretty well and has the trust of a Cam Newton right now. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. And I don't think there's any reason to mess with that. Isaiah Ford, who's predominantly a slot-wide receiver, for the Patriots who have almost nothing going for them offensively, I don't see how you would take Jacoby Myers, put him on the perimeter, and make Isaiah Ford a thing. I just don't see why or how you would do that. It wouldn't make any sense to me. So I expect Jacoby Myers, frankly, for the rest of the season, because Julian Edelman, what, what would be the purpose of Julian Edelman coming back at this point? With where the Patriots are, they're not going to make the playoffs. Where he is at his in, his in his career, because he probably only has a few, what, games left in his overall career. Let's be honest, guy's about to turn thirty five next year as a wide receiver. I don't see him coming back this season. It's going to be Jacoby Myers, I believe, the rest of the way. Now let's lead off into that. Well, let's take that and we'll go dive into the waiver wire report. Because like I said, Jacoby Myers is on the waiver wire report. He's the first guy up because he's the least guy owned on the guys that I'm targeting. That's what we do. We work from, you know, from bottom to forward. So the guy who's the who's the most available, I should say it that way. The guy who's the most available to you, we start off with. And then we work our way up to the guy who's the least available, but still under 50% owned on average throughout all the major platforms. ESPN, CBS, NFL, Yahoo, whatever you want to do. Jacoby Myers only 5.6% owned on average. So clearly, you guys at MD Nation did not listen to me when I last week when I said Myers was a pickup for me and a nice little deep stash. And somebody thought, especially against the Jets, that you could play as a wide receiver 3-4 that could fill in for you. Clearly, you didn't listen to me. Probably will now that he's got everybody's attention. Now, of course, this was the New York Jets. So you can't expect 12 receptions for 169 yards and 14 targets every single week, especially a team that wants to run the ball first, especially a team that has shown us plenty of times so far this season that they will just go completely anemic on you on offense. And frankly, at different spouts during this game, looked like they were heading that direction before they were able to turn it around. But Myers is somebody, while you're going through these bye weeks and we still have 
week 10, 11, 12, 13. We have bye weeks all the way up to week 13 this year. He's a nice fill-in player because he's looking at a high target volume. Ever since he stepped into the Julian Edelman role, essentially, he's been looking at 8-plus targets, closer to double-digit targets now more consistently. That will probably continue. So at the very least, with Jacoby Myers, you're getting a high-floor, let's say low-end wide receiver 3. Let's be conservative on this. Let's not overreact to this. But a high-floor, low-end wide receiver 3 is something of value right now as you're going through these bye weeks and dealing with injuries. Now, this next guy up, I know, I know. He's been on my waiver wire report a lot, Kip, thinking that maybe I was getting you guys ahead of the curve and it just wasn't working out. But Alshon Jeffrey, 8% owned. Now, here's the thing. They came out on Sunday and said that Alshon Jeffrey is expected to practice in full this week. That's the first time they've ever done that. Now, I'm not going, I'm not telling you to pick up Alshon Jeffrey to play him this week. And again, everyone on this list, including Jacoby Myers, who just had that big game, are all people that I'm not spending fab on, I'm not spending a priority on, I'm laying them clear to Wednesday, and then I'll see what I got. Including Jacoby Myers. And we'll go through why, because there's several wide receivers actually on this list who, if you don't get Jacoby Myers, I'm just fine having as a, as a consolation prize. So Al, getting back to Alshon Jeffrey here, the reason he's a pickup is because if they expect him to practice in full because of what they are paying him, there is still a pretty good chance that they make him a starting wide receiver. My question is going to come to this. Are you going to change what setup you have right now? Because right now I think the Eagles had a good thing with the team that they had going into the bye with a Travis Fulgham, a Jalen Rager, and a Dallas Goddard, a Greg Ward. And the reason I thought that was actually a pretty good core to start building around, because it looks like they're going to be in the driver's seat for the NFC East most likely, especially if they win this week against the New York Giants coming up. The reason I thought that would be a nice little core is because everybody can do something different. Travis Fulgham can be your big red zone threat, your big possession receiver, move the chains, get 50-50 balls. Greg Ward's a nice little slot receiver, picks up the easy yards, pick up the easy routes, sure hands. You have Jalen Rager, who take the top off, be your explosive guy, get it down to the next level. You have Dallas Goddard, who I know, even though he only had one catch for 15 yards his first game back, is above average tight end, to say the least. Now if you add Alshon Jeffrey into the mix, and you plan on starting him, and honestly, I have a hard time imagining they're going to bring him back and then have him be on the bench, or have him play second fiddle to Travis Fulgham. Now you, now you put yourselves in a real dilemma here. Because now it's, are you going to have Fulgham and Alshon Jeffrey and only switch in Jalen Rager when you want to take a shot play? Are you going to have Jalen Rager play the slot, even though Greg Ward's the better route runner right now? I mean, what are you going to do? Are you going to bench Travis Fulgham and put Alshon Jeffrey out there? There's a lot of different scenarios, but the point is I, I, I don't see Alshon Jeffrey being, the let's say, the fourth wide receiver here in the rotation. Maybe the first game back, which is why, like I say, you're not playing him the first game back. But there's a real chance here that Alshon winds up being their perimeter starting wide receiver, which will make him a red zone threat, which will make him, you know, at least a deep sleeper stash. But I think I'm more intrigued by 
what his impact coming back is going to do to the rest of these wide receivers. Because I don't see how you move on from Travis Fulgham at the same time. I don't see why you would. And from a fantasy standpoint, you better hope not, because I think Travis Fulgham is definitely the better player right now, too. But this is where this is where politics and money and player recognition become an issue inside the NFL and then impacts your fantasy value, too. But he is somebody I think could be a stash play, because I think there's a scenario where that happens just because of the situation surrounding Alshon Jeffrey and the Philadelphia Eagles right now. Next guy I want to talk about, Gus Edwards, 11% owned. Again, no fab, no priority. There's still a pretty good chance, I believe, that Mark Ingram will miss again this week and maybe come back in week 11, which would be more in line of a timeline of a true high ankle sprain. So I could see him missing this week still, which means Gus Edwards, J.K. Dobbins are probably both looking at double-digit touches, which means they can both be RB3s. J.K. Dobbins not on this list. He's more than 50% owned. But Gus Edwards is only 11% owned. He's the one who scored the touchdown last week. I mean, frankly, because they're not actually throwing the ball to J.K. Dobbins anyway, they both have the same amount of value in my book. Maybe Edwards a little bit more so because he's going to be the goal line back more times than not. So if Mark Ingram misses again, I think you're looking at a guy who could be a flex running back for you, which just is has value at the moment. But again, I'm letting him clear waiver wires. I'm not I'm not going to do anything that would hurt myself next week as far as fab or priority goes over Gus Edwards. Now the next guy, another Philadelphia Eagle wide receiver, Jalen Rager. How is Jalen Rager only 14.5% owned? Now I know I just went through this whole spiel about you know Alshon Jeffrey and what that could mean for everyone's playing time as far as wide receiver core. But the thing about Jalen Rager is we know there's going to be a concerted effort to have him involved because he's the only guy that they're going to take shots to. He's the only guy who opens up the rest of the field for everybody else. So while his target share is never going to be consistent, and, and frankly, if he gets more than five targets in a game, you have to color yourself lucky, he's still definitely a boomer bust option. And on an offense that tends to get hurt, on an offense that really needs explosive plays from somebody right now, I still think there's an opportunity for Jalen Rager to continue to be the starter. Especially as a first-round rookie. So that's the case. He's locking down five to six targets a game, locking down, more importantly, that Deshaun Jackson role, which we know is boomer bust any given week. We know he's going to be a wide receiver four, but for him to only be 14.5% owned, given that he can be a boomer bust option for you, doesn't make any sense to me. So if you get the opportunity, go for him. The guy who I think is actually the most valuable, probably in this entire waiver wire report, well, maybe not the most valuable, but maybe as the wide receivers go, Tim Patrick, 14.6% owned. I know his first game back, he only had four catches, 29 yards, he did get the touchdown. And I know that Jerry Judy, as of late, has been playing much better. I even commented on that in yesterday's show. You can go back and listen to that on iHeartRadio, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, wherever you like to go for your streaming apps. It's on there all the time. Belly Up Sports, MD's Fantasy Football Show. And I talked about yesterday how Jerry Judy has been playing much better. And he has looked more comfortable. And he has the rapport now with Drew Locke. And that there's an opportunity there where he could be the number one receiver most weeks moving forward. But that's only become the case as Tim Patrick's been out. And this is the first game back for Tim Patrick off his hamstring issue. You leave some room for guys to not maybe perform as well, especially when you're talking about Tim Patrick, guy who's not a superstar to begin with. 
some room that they might not have as good of a game as what they were having beforehand. But Tim Patrick was the number one wide receiver before he went down. He was number one red zone threat. He still scored a touchdown in this game. Is a Denver team that I believe is going to have to come back from behind more times than not. They've already had to do it the last two weeks. I like Tim Patrick. He has high-end wide receiver three ability in my mind. And I don't think it's a foregone conclusion that Judy's definitely the target in front of him yet. Let's see it next week. Next week will give us a little bit more of a tell as far as what what the target share is between the two of them. But I do think Tim Patrick offers more than K.J. Hamler does at the moment. Just because given his big body status, gives him more of a target for Drew Locke. And Locke has more of a rapport with him going back to last season. I think Tim Patrick's a nice little pickup for you guys. Next guy, Wayne Gallman. These running backs are gross. Oh my goodness. Had to put him on the list because he's had two touchdowns. He's had two touchdowns the last two weeks. So if Devonta Freeman doesn't play, and we don't know that's going to be the case yet, he he may be inching closer. There may be a chance that Freeman's able to come back this week. But if Freeman's not able to go, then you're looking at Wayne Gallman probably being the lead back. I'll add this caveat in there though. Alfred Morris has been very involved the past two weeks. So while Gallman's been able to score the past two weeks, Morris is taking away the any possibility that there would may have been for a Wayne Gallman to wind up with 18 to 20 touches in any, in any given game. So I don't feel great about it. But if you have a touchdown the past two weeks and he might be the lead running back, you kind of fall automatically into that top 36 RB3 territory, unfortunately. So he has to go on the list. But again, you're not spending anything. You're not going out of your way to get him. Only if he's you know easily picked up to you and only, if, frankly, if you have to. Next guy, Alan Lazar, at 30% owned, so he's 70% available. He's inching back closer and closer. He actually traveled with the team last week, meaning they must have thought that there was some chance that he was going to be able to suit up for that game. Meaning, I expect him to suit up this week. And while he's not going to be great, while he's going to be more of a low-end wide receiver three than anything else, we know Marquez Valdez-Scantling was not able to take over the role. They were not able to trade for Will Fuller. So that leaves Alan Lazard looking at a 5-7 to seven target share per game with Aaron Rodgers, who looks like he's on fire with the Green Bay Packer offense as one of the top offenses in the league this year. Having a complete rebound from what they were a year ago. So Alan Lazard, definitely a nice little option that should be widely available to you guys right now and could be back as soon as this week. And as long as he's not fully activated, somebody you could actually probably pick up and put on your IRs at the same time too and be able to stash him for another player until he is activated and if you're going to use him. Next guy, and he's the only quarterback on my list this week, is Jared Goff at 33% owned. They're playing Seattle. If you don't know by now, if you've been living under a rock, the Seattle Seahawks cure a lot of ills when it comes to the quarterback. And not only are they playing Seattle, but in Jared Goff's case, they're also playing in Los Angeles, where Goff is a much, much better. I mean, that that home road split is real when it comes to Jared Goff. Much better quarterback when he's at home. On top of the fact that you're playing Seattle. On top of the fact that you're coming out of a bye. 
Yeah, Jared Goff is going to be one of my top streamers of the week. Only 33% owned. If you've been streaming quarterback, your quarterback's on by, whatever the case may be, make sure Jared Goff's the one guy that I might, I might, depending on what my situation is. If I'm if I'm really desperate to have to win games and run the table to make the playoffs, I might spend 10% of my fad budget on him to get a top streaming quarterback this week. I might use a bottom six priority waiver pickup on him if my quarterback's on by this week. The only one where I would consider it. The only one. Otherwise, I'm not going to bother. But he's the one guy on this list that I would consider actually using some resources to get this week. Because it's Seattle. Because you might need a quarterback because of the Week 10 buys. Next guy I want to talk about, J.D. McKissick. I talked about him a little bit yesterday. He's only 34% owned. I will, you know, wait around social media, listen to some people talk. A lot of people think that it was a fluke. They do. They're treating this like the, the Jerick McKinnon thing that I told you guys all about going into that Thursday night game, that it was going to be a Jerick McKinnon game. It wasn't going to be a Jermichael Hasty game because of who the quarterback was. Because that dictates what running back you're going to utilize. And while it doesn't make any logical sense that Antonio Gibson wouldn't just be a guy that you can throw the ball to consistently, we've now seen it a couple of times where Alex Smith has come in and J.D. McKissick's been the guy. And because Alex Smith is such a check-down quarterback, J.D. McKissick is getting an unreal target share when Alex Smith has been in the game so far. And I know it's only been twice. No, it hasn't been for a full game. But the fact that what it boils down to from a logical standpoint, from an analysis standpoint, is that they trust McKissick in pass protection more than Antonio Gibson, which does make some sense because you're talking about Gibson, who's still a rookie. And when it comes to Alex Smith, who's making this return, coming off of that horrific injury and the great story that he is, your number one priority is making sure you have everyone back there you feel the most comfortable with protecting him. So while from a skill standpoint, there's no reason Antonio Gibson can't be involved in the passing game, I'm going to tell you guys this right here, right now. From a snap share standpoint, because Washington will probably be trailing more times than not for this season, if Alex Smith really is going to be the quarterback for the rest of the way for this team, J.D. McKissick's going to be splitting snaps. Not carries. They'll still give Gibson the majority of the carries, but he's going to be splitting snaps and he's going to be leading in targets. So if you're sitting there in the half point, especially a full point PPR league, and you you know running back with a high floor, be able to plug and play in your flex or, or dispel a running back who's on a buy or whatever the case may be, I'm telling you right now, J.D. McKissick's going to be a solid grab. A very solid grab. Because as long as Alex makes the quarterback, he's going to see a crazy amount of targets. An almost Alvin Kamara-like amount of targets. Maybe not quite to that level, but so far, he's had 22 targets in the three total quarters that Alex Smith has played football so far. And I know game script-wise, I had to throw the ball a ton when Alex Smith came into the game. I don't care. The game before that, when Alex Smith came in, they weren't necessarily having to throw it a ton then either. They're just trying to keep pace. There's something to this J.D. McKissick and Alex Smith thing. I'm telling you right now, it's going to continue to be a thing. 
So I think you can play. I think you can play McKissick as a flex or as a low end RB two in full point PPR leagues and half point as a flex play. I think he's going to have a nice floor because of those receptions. So very interesting to me moving forward. Dallas Goddard is the other player besides Jared Goff that I would contemplate spending resources for. And really the only reason I'm contemplating it and not definitely doing it is because I can't believe he's only 39% owned to begin with. Given the landscape of the tight end position, I know he didn't have a great first game coming back, and I know he just came off of bye. But people are just throwing whatever they can to see if something sticks to the tight end. We know Dallas Goddard is good. We know Zach Ertz is not coming back anytime soon. We know Carson Wentz more times than not likes to use the tight end, no matter how many weapons he has coming back healthy to him. Dallas Goddard's a must-add if you if you need a tight end. If you need a tight end, I'm going to spend 15% of my fab budget when it comes to Dallas Goddard. At least. Depends on how many guys in my league need a tight end. I'm going to spend I'll spend a bottom five priority on getting Dallas Goddard, especially if I need one. It's hard to find quality tight ends right now. He's one of them, and he's actually available on the waiver wire for out of 61% of you guys out there. Now, the next three players that I want to talk about that will pretty much cap off the waiver wire report for us are to illustrate a point of where we are in the season. The fact that we are closing down to the playoff race. And Alexander Madison, who's only 42% owned. Tony Pollard, who's only 44% owned. And that one surprised the hell out of me, given that there was a bunch of question marks about Ezekiel Elliott even playing going into this weekend. And Latavius Murray at 49% owned. These are all must-own handcuffs, particularly if you are actually the owner of their people that they're handcuffing, Dalvin Cook, Ezekiel Elliott, Alvin Kamara. But these are also all very quality backs, which is what makes them such top-hand handcuffs because you know when the starters go down, these guys can perform at a high level for you. We're at that point of the season where, okay, you've been trying to get the extra roster flexibility, so you haven't had your handcuff. You've been rolling dice. You've been taking your chances. These guys are technically under 50% owned, meaning they're a majority available. If you are the owner of one of these guys, you have to go pick them up now. We are at the point of the race where your team, for the most part, I know we're still dealing with buys, your team, for the most part, should kind of be solidified. If you want to make sure you don't get left out to dry because of a horrendous injury that you don't have a backup plan for, make sure you pick up these handcuffs. And if you are sitting there, let's say at 8-1, and 7-2, 6-3, and and you're feeling pretty good about your opportunity to make the playoffs in your league, pick one of these guys up as a stash. See if you get lucky. Take a lottery ticket. But these guys have value, and at this point in the year, should not be less than 50% owned given their circumstances. Now, I do have a do-not-add player. Not something I have every single week, but when the occasion arises, I make sure I put this guy on there and I let MD Nation know, let someone else make that mistake. And that player for me is Jordan Wilkins. Now, Jordan Wilkins is only 7% on on average. That's going to go up. Because now we have two games in a row where he led the team in carries. And this past week, there wasn't any word about some secretive injury Uh, to Jonathan Taylor. So while people are going to want to recognize that, people are going to say, you know what? You could play Jordan Wilkins as a flex. I say false. 
We've seen this song and dance before where it looks like Jordan Wilkins is the thing, and then you get the carpet pulled out from under you. Now, while Jonathan Taylor has been frustrating as all hell, and while I said yesterday on this show that he needs to be a sell-high candidate or a sell-for-something candidate, I don't know about sell-high, but a sell-for-a-low-in-RB2 candidate who actually gets volume, it does not mean I think Jordan Wilkins has more value. The fact is, is a three-man rotation that could change on a dime as far as who's getting all the touches. Jordan Wilkins has an injury history on top of it. Let someone else make that mistake. If they want to take on the headache and they want to have the cojones to play Jordan Wilkins, it's going to come back to bite him in the butt. I'm telling you that right now. So MD Nation, stay with me. Let someone else make that mistake. Well, that's going to close it up for the show. I hope you guys all enjoyed it. We'll be back on Thursday and Friday from 12 to 1.30 on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network, WWSRN, as we always are. Make sure you check us out on bellyupfantasysports.com. We'll have the rankings up for you either late Wednesday night or Thursday morning, usually Wednesday night. And make sure you're following us on social media at bellyupmdffshow. We'll keep you up to date with all those player news notifications coming out. And always follow us along on your favorite streaming app, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes, wherever you like to go. We are always widely available to you. Everyone stay safe, stay happy. We'll talk to you again on Thursday to preview the early window of Week 10 games. That's right, Week 10. We are getting close to the finish line, everybody. Take care. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. 